Today, we're going to finish up our series on how to be rich. We've discovered some things over these past few weeks. We discovered good news. Good news is you are rich. Compared to 99% of the world, you are rich. Bad news, you don't know how to be rich because nobody ever taught you how to be rich. Good news is God's Word teaches us how to be rich. And it can all be summed up in this quote that I came across this week. Here it is. If one first gives himself to the Lord, all of their giving is easy. If you recognize Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead to pay for your sins, then the rest of the giving is easy. This is first. Give yourself to God. All the other stuff will follow. Now, Jesus said it this way. Uh, it, it, this is my paraphrase, and then we'll look at his verse. What you do with your time and your money reveals what you value. Where you put your time, where you put your money, that, that shows everyone around you what you value. And here's how Jesus said it in Matthew 6, 21. Wherever your treasure is, there your desires of your heart will also be. Your feelings follow your money. Your feelings follow where you put your time. Dad, since it's Father's Day, if we were to ask your children what your top five or top ten priorities are, would your spiritual family and your physical family make the top ten? Would they make the top five? Your kids are watching and they know. I don't want them just to be the top five. I want them to be the top three. God, family, church, that's the order that it should be. And that's the legacy that I want to leave. Now, whether, whether it's popular with my children or not, I want them to know that my heavenly father comes first and everything I do is to pass on a legacy to them and my grandchildren um, and please my heavenly father. Now, Jesus told us a story. And, um, uh, oh wait, let me give you Jesus' definition first. I gotta go back. Jesus told a story about a farmer who had more than enough. And in this way, it's like us because we're rich, we've got more than enough. And in the story, he teaches this definition of greed. And here it is, we'd mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Everything I have is for me. Jesus didn't say you're greedy for having more than you need. He didn't say you were greedy for enjoying what you have. He said you're greedy when you assume your extra is for you. That's Jesus' definition of greed. And here's what he says in Luke chapter 12, beginning in the second half of verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now, we've been saying this all week. When I get to rich man, so we're going to say rich man, rich woman, you're going to say, that's me, and you're going to do it with a smile on your face and an exclamation point. You're going to do it with enthusiasm, right? If you want to get to lunch at a decent time, you're going to participate. All right, so here we go. The ground of a certain rich man, woman. Y'all did it first time. I had to do like three times in the early service. That's why they were a couple minutes late getting out. The ground of a certain rich man, woman. I uh, caught you by surprise. Yielded an abundant harvest. Now, just based on what we've learned, this story is about us. We're rich, um, and, and so this is about us. This guy had a great year. Not only was he already rich, he had a great year, and he had more riches. And so the question is, what should he do with the extra? Now, Jesus is the one telling the story, and he could have had this guy do anything he wanted to. Um, but he wanted to teach us the right and wrong ways to respond if we ever find ourselves with extra cash, extra more than we need. Jesus wanted us to learn how to be good at being rich because there's a bad way to be rich. And the guy in the story, he'd gotten a promotion and he probably did what most of us did when you get a promotion. He asked this question in verse 17. He thought to himself, now I want you to notice all the personal pronouns. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. How many times in that one sentence? Three. Well, two sentences. I've got more than I need. It's when you get your, your tax return. It's when you get a bonus. It's when you get a, a raise. And, um, and, and you have choices now that you didn't have before. You've got extra. What do I do? Now, I'm going to tell you, if you don't have a strategic uh, plan for how you're going to spend your money, all of your extra is going to be for you. You're going you're to expand your lifestyle to meet your, your income. And the strategic uh, 
system that we use is 10, 10, 80. 10% goes to God. The first 10% is God's to say, God, you're my God and not money. The next 10% is savings. And then you live off of 80%. If you can live off of 80%, if you can buy a boat, if you can buy a motorcycle, whatever your toy is, gun, whatever it is, if you can buy it with the 80, 80%, woohoo, yes. But if you give to God, you're saying to God, you are my God, not money. If you save 10%, you'll be ready for the future. And then you live off of 80 and you celebrate that. If you don't have that type of strategic plan, you're going to do what the rich guy did. You're going to assume it's all for you. Look what he says. Continuing with the personal pronouns. There are 11 personal pronouns in this passage. Then he said, this is what I'll do. Now, by the way, where's God? Did he ever once say, God, I'm acknowledging you and I'm going to ask you what I should do with my extra? No, never does. Then he says, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I will store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, self... You have plenty of grain for many years. Take it easy, self. Eat, drink, and be merry, self, because it's all about you. And so far, this isn't really a bad story. We might want to be this guy in Jesus' story. Sure, let me try the extra. Let me have this abundant crop. Let me have a big raise, God. And, and you're, you're expecting Jesus to say right after this, and he lived happily ever after, right? You're, you're expecting the movie credits. The movie's over. The rich guy's sitting on a beach somewhere. He's sipping on a little cocktail. It has the little umbrella in there. We all know it's non-alcoholic grape cider, right? Sparkling cider, because nobody ever drinks an alcoholic drink on the beach. Anyway, he's sipping on it. You're going, end of movie. This is the way it's supposed to end. But does Jesus ever end a story the way you expect him to end a story? Or the way his listeners did? No. This guy made a huge mistake. It's the same mistake you and I make very often. We assume that the extra is for us, and that's Jesus' definition of greed. And so Jesus, at this point in the story, he hits the blessed guy, and then everybody who was listening, because in those days, if you received a blessing from God, if you were rich, it was because God loved you more than other people. That's what they thought. And he, he, he hits them with this harsh reality. Look what he says in verse, verses 20 and 21. But God said to him, you fool, the last thing you want is for God the Father to call you a fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, whoever, not just this guy, whoever stores up things for themselves, this is what's going to happen to you, but is not rich towards God. Now, when we open up the word of God, we always need to look at the timeless principle. Pull it out of the story. And the timeless principle is not that you're going to die the night you get a raise. Now, you might, but that's not what God's word is telling us here. What he's saying is if you only do with the extra what the rich guy in Jesus' story does with the extra, there will come a time suddenly in your life when you go, I made a huge mistake. I made a huge assumption that was wrong. That's the timeless principle here. There's a right way to be rich. There's a wrong way to be rich. And we've been, we've been looking at this passage for five weeks now when Paul told this young pastor these things. And by the way, I'm going to use that rich word again, and you're going to say, that's me, all right? He says, command those who are rich. Nope. Command those who are rich. Thank you. In this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Now look at this. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Wealth can be enjoyed and employed for the kingdom of God if you'll decide up front, I'm going to honor God with my wealth and with everything that I have. He wants you to enjoy it, but he also wants you to honor him. Now look at this. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. In this way, you'll lay up, they will lay up 
treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is really life. If you want life that matters beyond this life, there's a couple of things to avoid in this passage and there's four things to pursue. So the first thing to avoid is do not be arrogant. Do you know people who are rich and they're arrogant? Yes, no? Do you know people who put their hope in wealth? Yes. That's the guy in Jesus' story. It's all about me. Jesus says, don't do that. Or Paul says, don't do that. And then he says, here's what you're to pursue. Put your hope in God, do good, be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. So if you're going to boil it all down to keep you from being arrogant, to keep you from putting your hope in wealth, and to keep you from assuming that all of your extra is for you, you have to pursue this one word, and it's called generosity. It's what God wants for you. Now, here's our saying. This is what we've been saying each week. God has blessed me with more than I need. So read this with me. God has blessed me. I am rich. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Because I have more, I will give more, and will do more. So we're going to finish this series with three things that God wants you to be rich in. First one, he wants you to be rich in deeds. He wants you to be rich in deeds. He wants your action. Remember, I asked you last week, if we were to look at your bank account of good deeds, would you be dirt poor or would you be rich? I came across this quote this week that kind of slapped me in the face. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world aren't science teachers in public schools. They're not liberal politicians. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today are Christians who come into a room like this, who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out those doors and deny him by their lifestyles. Look at this. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And it's what a Christ follower should find unbelievable too. Don't come in here and gather and, and then leave the same as you came in. That means you've not encountered the risen Savior. We want the world to see our good works and glorify God. And that's what Peter said in 1 Peter 2.12. Live such good lives among the pagans. What's a pagan? In those days, a pagan was anybody who did not believe in the true God. Now, you remember when Paul went to Ephesus, he said, I notice you got a statue to this God and this God, and there's just statues to all these gods, lowercase g, so they're idols. They, they even had a statue to an unknown God. And then he says, I know that God, let me introduce you to him. There's one real God. So a pagan in those days was anybody who didn't believe in the true God. So he said, live such good lives among the pagans, anyone who does not believe in, in the true God that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they are looking for things that you do wrong, that's our society, by the way, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. We're going to live in such a way that people may not agree with our theology, they may not agree with, with what we read in the Bible, but they cannot deny that we are selfless people who love other people because our actions are so others-centered. They may not agree with your theology, they may not agree with the songs that you sing, but they say those people are Christ followers. And by the way, in the first century, when they were called Christians, it was a derogatory term. They couldn't think of any other term to cut them down. So they were like, you, you, you little Christ, because they acted so much like their founder of their religion that all they could do was, was say, you're like Christ. Yes, that's what we're after. We want to be like Christ. That's how God wants you to be rich in good deeds so that even when people disagree with your theology, they say, you know those people at New Life Community Church? They're generous. They're real. I'm trying to find some reason not to like them, and I can't because they're so generous. 
And see, we talk about this thing called the gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, capital G, and it actually stands for, it means the good news of Jesus Christ. And people outside these walls have seen the good news of Jesus Christ long before they ever hear it from you. They see your actions, and your words gain credibility by your actions first. And there are a group of people here at New Life who are rich in good deeds. Keith Lively plays electric guitar for us. Keith has played in our band for 16 years. That's a long time. And I remember when he came and he said, hey man, is it okay if I play in the band? And he started playing. And he's here every Wednesday night and, and he's done all kinds of things. We, we call him our, I call him our MVP of the, of the band because he does so much for the band. He does all of our internet stuff. He's, he actually, we hired him as our IT guy. And, and he takes care of our, our uh, webpage. He takes care, uh, care of Facebook. Anytime we have computer issues, he does all of that stuff. He's one of the heroes. He, he does good deeds here all the time. And you don't even see the band. The band is here on Wednesday nights rehearsing. So before we sing a song, we've gone through it several hours before we ever present it to you and before we ever present it to God. These people are heroes of the faith. They're rich in good deeds. We have uh, the guest services team that, that come up here, and a lot of them pray before the services, and they're here early and they stay late. They are rich in good deeds. We have the security team who, who is on patrol right now protecting you, making sure that nothing happens. And if someone comes in, we're trained, and they will, do, they will defend you with their lives if possible. They are rich in good deeds. We have folks that work on the computer. Krista has been back on the computer the last two or three weeks in a row, and she sits through both services. I actually feel bad. Bobby's through both services today. Gary's through every service every Sunday. Somebody give the brother a break, right? He hears, two, he hears my message twice every week. We ought to pray for Gary. We have people that run the sound, Facebook. We have leaders of small groups, Bible studies. And most of all, we have the children's workers. Now, I, I announced this in the first service, and I had not gotten permission to do this, and I've not told anyone else except the first service. So I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a Sunday, and it's going to happen in, this, in the next few weeks when we dismiss all of our child care workers and we bring all of those beautiful, lovely children in here for our service. Now, it is going to be a child-friendly service, but it's a reminder to some of you that, thank God, we have children's workers. And maybe I should be one. I'm being dead serious about this. We're going to come in here. And when they are crying and when they're wanting water and, they, when they, and they're, they're chunking food, I'm going to say, you need to serve now. Right? Yeah, Gary's just laughing because he can already see it happening. So I'm not telling you when. You're going to have to miss a whole bunch of weeks if you, if you want to miss that Sunday. We're going to have fun on that day, but we're going to be reminded that the heroes, the rich and good deeds people, are some of those people that sit back there in a service so that a, a young mom, a young dad can sit in here and hear the message of Christ without... And, and I love my kids, but I remember when, when Caleb was three years old and came into the worship service, because I, I took notes, and I, I quit taking notes because I spent all of my time trying to make sure he was entertained so that he wouldn't disturb the people around him. I missed the service. He missed the service. And if, he, if I didn't take care of him, the people around me would miss whatever was going on. So fair warning is coming. Second thing God wants you to be rich in is generosity. I didn't even tell my wife about that. She's going, oh, news to me. Generosity. 
first century Christians were not, think about this, they weren't organized, they had no buildings, they had no backing, um, they weren't even recognized by the government as a legal religion. They were underneath Judaism. They were considered a, a sect of Judaism. The Jews hated them and tried to persecute them. The Romans made fun of them, actually hung a lot of them on crosses. They crucified them. How in the world did Christianity not only survive the first century, how did they thrive and take over the world within 300 years, the known world? Well, they had no internet, they had no newspapers, no powerful allies, no military, and the founder of Christianity, Jesus Christ, never walked more than 30 miles from his hometown. How did this Christianity take over the world? Well, a few years ago, some people decided to, to look at that. First answer is it's through God. Did you know the Jewish people, if you think about, if you study the Jewish uh, history, just the Israel, they have persecuted, been persecuted, survived more than any other nation in history. It's because they had God. How did Christianity survive? Because they had God. But these people began to look and they said this, while Christians had none of the conventional strengths to start a movement that would last, they, their influence and their appeal can be traced to one word. It was generosity. First century Christians had no money, but they were generous. Their theology was, was not mainstream, and the religious leaders hated them for it. They couldn't even comprehend what Jesus was trying to say. What set them apart was their inexplicable compassion for others and their unbelievable generosity. They were impossible to ignore. You see, in, in Rome, there was this, this idea of... Um, uh, how, how you treated others, how you would be generous to others was this Latin term, liberalitas. That's a fun word to say. Say liberalitas. Come on, say it, say it. Liberalitas was this. Now, you have to understand that they, the, the Roman emperor, whoever he was, his image would be etched on the coins. And then this word liberalitas would be etched at the bottom of it. And so whoever the emperor was at the time, he would go out and he would throw these coins out in the streets so that these people he's given money to, by the way, don't think this is political. You know, somebody going, liberal? Yeah, you're getting on your high horse. Don't think of politics. Not talking politics here. This word means that you give in order to get something in return. And quit thinking about politics. I know you jumped there again. They, um, it was you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Again, no politics. So they would throw these coins out so that these people, if there was ever a threat to their throne, these people would say, I'm going to be loyal to him because he gave me something for nothing. It was you go out and you find somebody who could give something back to you and you do not something nice for them first so that they will owe you. It's not being generous for the sake of being generous. It's being generous so that you'll owe me. I'm going to do something nice for you and then I'm going to expect you to do something nice for me. Now, if you had something to offer, this would be great because you'd be guaranteed to get something from other people. But what if you didn't have something to offer? Like widows and orphans. They literally had nothing. Widows couldn't even get a job. If they had nothing to offer, what do you think they got from the people who had stuff? Nothing. It was considered a waste of time, a waste of money to give a widow or an orphan something because you wouldn't get anything back. And then this guy named Jesus shows up and he changes the rules. It was unlike anything before, anything since. In Jesus' kingdom, people would give not expecting anything in return. And that was shocking to them. He even said, love your enemies and do good for them because you know they're not going to do good for you. This was stuff people had never heard before. And he said, when you show kindness like that, 
He said, your reward will be great, and then you'll be children of the Most High God. He said, if you love people who love you, what good is that? Even the pagans do that. He said, if you're generous to people who can pay you back, what good is that? Because even the pagans know how to do that. That's just liberalitas. Jesus' idea of generosity was very, very different. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The Samaritans compromised the bloodline so they intermarried with people who were not Jews, and so the J Jews despised them for that. Not only that, they compromised their religion by adding other elements into the worship of the one true God. So they hated them because they were half-breeds. They hated them because they messed up the religion. And Jesus made one of those people the hero of his story, and that shocked people. Jesus said being, being a neighbor to someone is helping someone who has a need, regardless of the skin color, regardless of their education, regardless of their economics, period. You help somebody who needs help. That's what being a neighbor was. But Jesus didn't stop with that. On the night before he was crucified, he stood up. He was having the Passover meal with his followers. He stood up and he said, all authority has been given to me. And had he, at that moment, had he said to his followers, bow before me because I am God's son, they would have done it. They'd have put their bread down. They'd have hit the floor because he was God's son, the living Christ. But that's not what he did. He stooped down, the Son of God stooped down, washed the nasty feet of his disciples, and while he's washing them, he says, my kingdom is going to be very, very different. The rules in my kingdom, generosity, very different than anything you've heard from before. And this is a huge reason why Christianity not just survived, it flourished. For the next 300 years, little Christs were running around being generous. They had nothing but generosity. And it exploded. They didn't have power. They didn't have prestige. They didn't have money. They didn't have influence, but they had generosity. I want to read you something from Andy Stanley's book, How to Be Rich. He says, Generosity was nothing short of the hallmark of the first century church. It was all they had, and it proved to be more influential than any amount of money or political sway. As time went on, several plagues ripped through the cities of that region. Each time, the people would flee to the country to escape death. Whenever they did, the sick were left with no one to care for them. However, historians tell us the Christians didn't flee. Instead, they risked their own health to stay and meet the needs of the ones who couldn't help themselves. Many of these Christians died in the process, but they weren't afraid of death. As they nursed the sick back to health, word of their generosity spread like wildfire. The entire perspective of the Christians stood in stark contrast to the pagans around them. The pagan priests were the first to leave town in those situations. They were some of the wealthiest people around, and they had a lot to lose, not to mention the fact that they were very afraid of death. So they thought nothing of leaving their sick loved ones behind in order to save themselves. Meanwhile, the Christians would even take care of the pagans. As the pagans' health returned, they often abandoned their idolatrous ways and turned to Christianity, not because of theology, not because of a miracle, but because of the generosity and compassion of the Christians in their communities. Now, I want you to hear this story of someone named Pacomius. Pacomius was 20 years old when the Romans took over the town of Thebes where he lived. Pacomius' parents were both pagans, and he considered himself to be a pagan as well. But when the Romans came to town, the course of his life changed forever. When the Roman Empire took over a community, they collected all the young men and drafted them into the Roman army. And because the Roman generals knew that these men would escape, if possible, they locked them in prison until they could be carted off and trained to serve. While Pacomius was in prison, 
A famine ravaged the area. Everyone in the prison began to starve. But as Pacomius remembers, strangers began to show up at night and slip food between the bars. Night after night, the mysterious people came back. And each time they did, the prisoners inhaled the morsels without asking questions. As a result, Pacomius and his friends survived the horrible famine. When it was over, Pacomius began to ask questions. Who were these people? Where did they come from? And most of all, why were they feeding us? The answer bewildered him. The strangers were members of a group known as Christians, little Christs, Galileans, because that's where Jesus was from, or followers of the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So a follower of the way. When Pacomius completed his obligations to the Roman infantry, he immediately sought out the Christians. From them, he learned about Jesus. He learned about the resurrection and the people who now carried out Jesus' legacy. Pacomius became a Christian and eventually was a great leader in the early church. He was later dubbed Saint Pacomius in recognition of his devotion to the movement. And it was all because of the extraordinary generosity that captured his heart. Everywhere Christians went, they were known for their generosity and their influence began to reshape the Roman Empire. And eventually, Emperor Julian made a, a push. He wanted to bring paganism back, but he couldn't. And here's his quote. I want you to see this quote. The impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. He was trying to bring back, let's do anything but follow the real God. But those little Christ keep taking care of people better than we're taking care of our people. And he could not overcome the generosity and the compassion of Christians. Basically, he couldn't galvanize support because the Christians continued to do more for the pagans than the pagan leaders did themselves. Not because they'd get something in return, but because that's what God's love is all about. This version of no-strings-attached generosity was so extraordinarily powerful that it was one of the primary reasons Christianity survived the first century. Extraordinary generosity captured his heart because generosity changes the world. It always changes the world. Generosity wins. So God wants us to be rich in deeds. He wants us to be rich in generosity. Last thing, he wants us to be rich in relationships. Here's what Jesus said. A new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. Now, I highlighted these next two words. By this, by what? By your unbelievable, inexplicable love for each other inside the walls of the church and by your inexplicable grace and generosity to people outside the walls of this church. They'll say, that's a little Christ. That's someone who really follows the way. And it will change people. And I'm just going to tell you, we need to be better at needing each other. And one of the best ways I know is small groups. Either celebrate recovery or Bible studies when we start in the fall. I've told you about one. I mean, anybody can learn from, I, I said this, you heard that. It happens all the time. We want you to get involved. And, and you can get involved this fall, Sunday nights, small groups here at the church. Monday nights, celebrate recovery. Men meet in the house. Women meet out here in the, in the living room. Tuesday nights, we're actually working to have men's and women's Bible study on Tuesday nights. And the landing will be in the back. That's celebrate recovery for teenagers, 13 to 18-year-olds. Um, and, and so there is something for you sometime of the week if you want to be involved and get connected. But here's what happens. This is when I get hammered is when people... Something bad happens to someone, they don't tell anybody in the church, and then weeks or months later, I find out they quit coming to our church, they're mad at me because I didn't come see them or didn't call them or text them or whatever, and I never even knew there was a problem. But the people that are ministered to the most in our church are the ones who are connected in small groups, 
And the first thing they do is they call their small group leader. There's times that, that Casey and Sherry learn things before I do about their small group members. Jeff and Teresa learn stuff about theirs. And they get to the hospital or they get, they get to the house before I do. That's the way the church is supposed to work. But if you're not willing to get connected, that's on you. Don't you put that curse on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> by this, by our incredible love for each other, they'll know we are little Christs. It's my goal for this church. As long as God leaves me on this planet, I'm going to keep challenging you to become little Christs. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. Change us from the inside out so that, God, we will, we will seek after you and we will love people like the first century people did, first century Christians. And that will have an impact for all eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.